the Lord. Amen. We're so thankful again for our children's ministry and those who happen to be involved in that are training our children in these valuable truths. And they are valuable truths. They're living truths that happen to begin in the Word of God. And even as we've been going through the book of Acts, we realize that this is historical truth, isn't it? Uh, but it's more than historical truth. It's inspired historical truth. In other words, everything that's written, every jot and every tittle, uh, that happens to be written in the book of Acts has been given to us, but by God, you know, again, and so we see these things, they're absolutely necessary in our lives. And we've been in this passage of scripture that really describes the beginning of the persecution against those who happen to be of the way or those who happen to be believers in Jesus Christ. And we realize what happens in chapter number four. And in chapter number four, uh, Peter and John are going to the temple. They're, they meet this man who happens to be lame from birth. Uh, he's healed. Yeah, they use the opportunity to preach the gospel. They're arrested. They spend a night in jail. The next day, they appear before the Sanhedrin uh, to give an account of what they have done. They preach the gospel again, and then they're warned, don't preach in the name of Jesus any longer. And what they do is they go to the most uh, dangerous place that you could ever go, and that is to be with other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they give an account of everything that has taken place. And then they offer up this beautiful prayer to God, don't they? You know, they, they, they realize the danger that they happen to be in. And what they do, and this is amazing, because so often we don't know what to pray for. And what the disciples do right here is they pray the scriptures. I mean, it seems so different, doesn't it? But they pray this uh, passage that happens to be in Psalm chapter 2. You know, why do the heathen rage? And then they take that and they give it its fulfillment. And it's fulfilled in the life of Jesus. You know, that here are these wicked, here are these evil men. Here, here again, basically all of the world re represented by all these various different factions are against Jesus Christ. And they brutalize him and they kill him. And this is what, what, what even Richard pointed in the beginning is basically this. This is the most horrendous evil and wicked act that has ever been done. Not only because Jesus is the most innocent one who has ever lived, but he's the most glorious. He's, he's of, of, of ultimate value. He is none other than God in human flesh. And here's the message that happens to be again right there, that none of that took place by chance. But God orchestrated even all of those wicked elements that happen to be in there, but never culpable of those wicked elements to weave them all together to bring, here it is, the highest good. You know, 10,000 years from now, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be in heaven with him. You're going to be in glory. You're going to be in his kingdom. You know, and that's a glorious truth. So when we look at this passage of scripture and when we look again at this prayer that's offered up, it's so valuable in each one of our lives. And the reason why it's so valuable is because of two things. One is it tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt, because this is such a dangerous world what we live in, you know, full of pitfalls, but full of U-turns that we never thought that would ever come into our life. And here's the amazing thing about all of that. That which is of eternal value is never in jeopardy. Isn't, isn't that amazing truth? You know, what, what happens to be of eternal value in my life cannot be lost. And it can't be lost just because God's all-powerful, but because he is all-sovereign. He is in control of every single event, and he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt how to keep us, how to hold us. He knows about all the events that happen to be in our life. You know, and we realize that, that nothing of eternal value is ever in jeopardy in our life. But the second thing is, the gospel becomes a template, doesn't it? It becomes a way of looking at our life, looking at all the events of our life, looking at the suffering of our life, looking again at the trials and difficulties and the hardship and the temptations that we go through many times. 
You know, we look at these things and we try to make sense of it. We try to explain it. You know, and we come back to this truth. God controls everything. And therefore, again, all of these events are meant for his glory. And here it is, my good. You know, and it's not that we figured it all out, that this good will come or that good will be gone to come or God will be glorified this way. It's not that we have the whole plan figured out. But when we look at the gospel, when we look at the greatest evil that has ever been done and the highest good that ever could be done, the highest glory brought to God, the highest good for us as sinners in the presence of God, we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that he can control my life. And we're moved to trust him. We're moved again to put our faith again in him. Again, not that we have everything figured out, but we, we, we come back and the greatest proof, again, that God is the great lover of our souls is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the verses that we're going to look at this morning are basically the application, right? Because they've gone through, they've looked at the scriptures, they prayed through the scriptures, they prayed to this great God, they, they uh, praised him, they glorified him, they put their trust in him, they saw the fulfillment again of this, and basically this, they glorified God in prayer, right? And, he, and here's one of the things that they're going to come to now, they're going to come to petition, and petition is basically we ask God for things that happen to begin in our life, things we can't do for ourselves, things that we absolutely need, those that happen to begin around us need. And we come to God and petition. And before the petition comes this praise, comes this reminder of who God is. And please don't misunderstand the text, because I think a lot of times we think this, that when we look at praise, when we look again at this idea of just coming to God and being reminded and praying to God and thanking him for who he is, I think a lot of times we think that's like buttering God up. You know, that all of a sudden now he's going to listen to my, my, uh, my uh, petitions as if God doesn't know what's in our heart and what we're up to, what we're scheming and, and going about. But one, one of the amazing aspects of prayer that I think is a lost art in Christianity today is just coming to God and just enjoying him. Just enjoying him for who he is. I mean, look at my God. Look at who he is. Look at how wondrous. Look at how amazing. Look at this great creator God who has redeemed my soul. Oh, God, I'm a lover of you. Look at who you are. And just enjoying God. You know, just enjoying many of the blessings, many of the mercies even that we sung about this morning that are new and fresh every morning. And I wonder, even as we look at our prayers, how many of our prayers are just about praising this great God, just about enjoying God who he is. You know, and I hear this so often as a, as a pastor. And if you happen to be, again, a Bible teacher and you teach the word of God, you've heard this too. You know, I just have difficulty pray, uh, praying. I just do not know what to pray. And here's the amazing thing. You know, we have prayers that are recorded in the word of God. And the reason why they're recorded in the word of God is to teach us to pray, right? They're there. You know, so think about it. If we're in anguish, if we're in sorrow, if we're going through a season of heaviness that happens to begin in our life, a season of grief, where do we turn? And we turn to the Psalms. And the Psalms, again, because so often we think about doubt, we think about all these other things, and we're struggling because we want to offer up prayers of faith to God, and it gives us a language, of how to come to this great God and really pour out our heart, pour out our anguish, pour out our sorrow, pour out our grief to this great God that happens to be above. You know, but it also teaches us how to pray for other people. You know, think about it. How do you pray for other people? How do you pray for those that happen to begin in the congregation? You know, and I love the Pauline uh, prayers because the Pauline prayers are very seldom for his, himself 
but they're so often, again, for other people. You know, and we, and we, we heard one this morning from Ephesians chapter uh, 3, one of the great prayers that happened to be in the New Testament, but there's also one in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse number 16. And Paul again says to the Ephesians, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, what does he pray? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you. And here's what he's praying for. He's not praying again for their condition. He's not praying for their circumstances. He's not praying for their suffering. But he may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having having the eyes of your heart enlightened. So in other words, I want you to realize the significance of what the scriptures say. I want it open to you. I want you to be enlightened. I want the light to go on in the inside. You might see the height, the grandeur of these truths, and this is what will happen, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, what is this immeasurable uh, greatness of this power to us who believe, according to the working of his great might, with that which he uh, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and, get, and gave him as head over all the things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now think about it. When was the last time you offered up a prayer for other people like that? When was the last time? I, I, I mean, we get so fixated on temporal things, don't we? The things that happen to be again here and now. And when you read again these prayers that happen to be of the New Testament in particular, it's incredible how it's for the spiritual welfare of those that happen to be around us. And it's amazing because when we're reminded of who God is, We're reminded of his greatness, of his grandeur, of the power that's working us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Something happens. And here's what happens. God becomes bigger. God becomes more grand. God becomes more glorious. In other words, we're seeing God as he truly is. But here here it is. Because so often when God's not in the picture, our problems, our difficulties, our sorrows, our frustrations, our trials, our temptations, our suffering grow to these sizes. And they're really not that big. And what happens when we see the size of God? All of a sudden, our problems start shrinking down. Nothing has changed in our life. Our problems, again, in our estimation, shrink down. But we also have direction. You know, a direction of what we ought to do, how we ought to magnify, how we ought to glorify God. You know, and the greatest question we should come when we come to the prayers that happen to begin of the New Testament is basically this. We should ask ourselves the question, how do I pray? How do I pray for others? What am I praying? What am I asking God to do? Because as you examine that, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're going to see what's important to you. You're going to see what you truly think is important in other people's lives. And one of the amazing things that uh, that I heard this from Sam Storms a number of years ago, and I see it more and more, that the whole purpose of prayer, we think the whole purpose of prayer is somehow to change God. Isn't it? You know, if I can just change God's mind, if I can just find the key to get him to be on my side, to get him to do on this or whatever it happens to be. And prayer is one of the primary instruments that God changes us so much so that we want to do his will. Right? Right? And it's incredible. And that's my prayer this morning. You know, as I got up really early this morning, I started thinking about this message. 
And my prayer was for you is that God would change you. God would change your prayers. God would change you so much, again, fundamentally, that what became, again, ultimate in your life, what became ultimate in your prayers was doing his will, was magnifying and glorifying this great God. So what I want us to do this morning is I want to look at the particular request that they make to our great God. And then I want you to want us to see the answer that God gives them. But let's look at that request. And that request is in verse 29 and 30. And look at what it says here. And it says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It is amazing when you look at our requests that are made to God, our petitions on behalf, again, of others, because I want you to think about it. I think the primary prayer request that we make to God, and I'm talking about petitions, I'm t- talking about asking for, for, for him, is this, the grace of release, isn't it? The grace, again, of escape. Lord, get me out of this situation. Lord, take these people out of my life. Lord, somehow remove, again, all of the suffering, all of these difficulties that happen to begin in my life. You know, it's either that or it's something temporal that happens to begin around us. Lord, give me this. Fulfill my dreams. Fulfill my desires. Fulfill what I truly want, what I truly crave in this life. You know, and it's many times like that. I think a lot of times if we would examine our prayers, they are so man, are they so me-centered, aren't they? Rather than, here it is, Christ-centered and God-centered. You know, we can be so Christ-centered, we can be so God-centered in all of our theology, but when it comes to the practice of prayer, it's all about me. It has more in common with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel than it does the theology, again, of the Word of God, the teaching that happens to be in the Word of God. You know, it's about me. It's what I want. If I can just figure it out, if I can just figure it out. You know, it has more in common with the goals and aspirations of the world that happens to be around us. What's the world trying to do? They are trying to get the things of this life. They are trying to get life to work on their basis, not God's basis. And I, and I think we try to do the same, and, and prayer is one of those tools. And I wonder how often we come in prayer and we're truly seeking that God might be magnified, no matter what the cost in my life, no matter what the cost in your life, but we truly want to see God magnified, God glorified, his name again advanced, even in the worlds that happen to begin around us. Because think of this whole passage of scripture. I find, this, I find it fascinating. You know, and what I try to do in historical narratives, and I find it difficult to do, is put myself in, in the situation. You know, so, so I can try to figure out what is going on, so I can try to figure out uh, the motivations that happen to be right there. Now, think about it. Here's the Sanhedrin, right? Sanhedrin had power. They were the ones who delivered Jesus over to be crucified, right? And here they are. Don't you preach in Jesus' name, or there's going to be repercussions. Now, what would you pray for? God, I know you gave that thing. Well, what was it called? The Great Commission? You know, I know you, you told us to go into all, I know you told us to preach in Jerusalem. I know you want us to announce your name. But God, we can't do that until this obstacle is removed. Once you remove this obstacle, Lord, we will obey you. Right? See the order here? Got this obstacle. Right? Can't obey. Right? But what do they pray for? Do they pray for the removal of the obstacle? And, and, and the answer begins with an end. It's no. 
But what do they pray for? They pray for their own feeble and weak hearts. It's an amazing prayer request because in verse number 29, you know, after they rehearse God's sovereignty, after they rehearse what the good, the glorious good, our salvation in Jesus Christ, they say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. And here it is. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So there's three parts to that prayer request, aren't there? You know, and the first one is to look upon their threats. In other words, there's a recognition that the danger is real. You know, this is not a figment of their imagination. This is not a what if. This is not the idea uh, uh, things might get worse, but they might not get worse if we go, go on preaching the gospel. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt things are going to get worse. And so look upon their threats. And then they say, and grant. And I find, again, the most significant thing is the third thing is what comes after the grant because they're asking God, grant us something because we can't do this on our own. We, 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 can, we can have this, this come to pass. So we're asking you for something. And the surprising element is that third element of what they ask for, isn't it? Because think about it. Some of these men are married. Some of these men have children. Some of them in, in that climate, in that culture, would have their parents living with them, their elderly parents, and taking care of them. Some of them, again, would have great responsibilities, even in that one church that happened to begin at Jerusalem. Lord, just can't do this. Just can't do this again right now. But that's not what they pray for, is it? You know, that's not what we see that happens to begin right here. They don't make excuses that this is just not the right time. Wait for circumstances to change. But what they pray for is this. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. God, give us the boldness. Give us a conviction that we might articulate these truths, this precious message, regardless of the outcome. They knew that their Lord had been hated. They knew that their Lord had been persecuted, that had been put to death for this very message. And they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they would persecute. They would, again, uh, bring all sorts of turmoil in the lives of those who preached the same message. So think of well, what the temptation is. The temptation here is this, not to speak the message, right? And here is a truth that many times terrifies people. You know, here is a command that terrifies so many people. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I can say it in one word. You know, this is what terrifies people is this, evangelism. You know, the articulating, again, of these great truths. So think about it. And why are we so fearful? Because we realize what people can do to us. We realize the rejection. We realize the scorn. We realize the ridicule. We realize the hatred that many times comes with preaching the gospel, which announcing the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So think about it. How do you overcome that? How do you overcome that? You know, and the way that you overcome that is exactly what the disciples are doing. Here they pray, and here they announce how big and grand God is. And when God impresses on their heart how big and grand he is, here it is, people start to shrink, right, in their estimation. 
and are able to love and articulate the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and so the danger is real, and they're asking God for the boldness to speak. And remember, the, the, if God doesn't answer, if, if somehow this prayer request does not come to pass, then they're silent, right? And if they're silent, they're disobeying God. God has given them a commission to go into all the world, to be my witnesses. And in verse number 30, again, we read, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, now, I cannot articulate how important these signs and wonders were in the ancient church. You know, you think about it, because uh, how big is the church right now? And it's thousands, isn't it? And we would go, wow, thousands of individuals, but it's one, one geographical location, that's it. And there's not this thing that we have today called the New Testament. And we realize the word of God, again, is living, is powerful. You know, it's able to cut asunder, again, us in the deepest recesses of our souls, show who we are before this mighty God in our need of Jesus Christ. It's able to do what nothing else can do in this world that happens to be around us through the Holy Spirit of God. But there is no New Testament at this time. So here's the question. How does God validate the message? How does he show the truthfulness again of the word of God? And it's through these signs, through these wonders. But, please get this, what is absolutely primary is the message of Jesus Christ. Right? Think about it. You know, let's just say it happened at uh, the WFCU Center that they had a, a healing crusade. And all of a sudden they sold, I don't know, what's that hold, Six, 7,000 people? They sold six, 7,000 tickets, and they jammed, again, all these, again, who are professing believers in this one thing, to seeing all these signs and wonders, seeing all these so-called miracles, again, that would be done. You know, and let me ask you, in a scenario like that, what, what is primary? What's primary? And what is primary is this, the so-called miracles and wonders that are taking place. Let me tell you in the text, that's not what primary primary. They're not saying, Lord, please do all of these miracles. Please do all these convincing uh, signs and wonders. They're not saying that. They are asking for the boldness to preach the gospel. These miracles are secondary to that which is primary, and that happens to be the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, articulating these truths of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we see again that even in verse number 33, because it is emphasized what came to pass. And it says, and with great power, the apostles were, here it is, giving their testimony of what? To the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all, right? That's what they wanted to see happen. Now, here's the thing. We all live in a fallen world. Now, I don't know if you know that or not. I don't know if you know that life has not gone according to your plan, according to your purposes. I don't know if you figured that out. You know, if not, you, <laughs> I don't know where you've been. You know, we realize that we live in this fallen world, and things do not go according to our plan. Things, again, that we will go through, circumstances we'll go through, relationships that we'll go through, that we never thought that we would go through in our life. And here's the question. How do we pray? How do we pray for ourselves? You know, because it's, it's absolutely amazing to look at this because I think a lot of times, and let me just say this, uh, because I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. I am not saying this, that it's wrong to pray for release. 
it's wrong to pray that God would somehow heal me, maybe of some disease, maybe some cancer, maybe some, of, some physical affliction that I'm going. I am not saying that. Please do not walk out and think I'm saying that. I am saying there's everything wrong if that is the only thing that I pray for, and that is the main thing I pray for. Right? Here it is. They're, they're going to come after us. They're going to come after us. What do we do? Lord, we know how weak we are. We proved it. We proved it a few months before. You know, we need this strength. We need this conviction to preach your gospel. And that's what we should be praying for 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 each one of us. When we hear of a physical affliction, when we hear of turmoil, when we hear, hear a trial... When we hear of heavy waters that someone is going through, one of the things that we should pray for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that they might magnify this great God, that they might point that their hope is not here, but here in what he has done. And realize beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has ordained these things in our life to speak of his grace, to speak of his goodness. You know, are we doing that? Are we seeing it with high? Because think about it. And I'm not trying to be callous. I'm not trying to be um, unfeeling to the physical afflictions of those that happen to be again around us. But let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, nobody here lives forever. Do we realize that? That this life is just temporary? Do we realize that a huge portion of our congregation is going to be gone in 30 years? Right? Do we realize that? Do we realize beyond a shadow of a doubt the world that happens to be around us, the people that happen to be in our life, can hurt us with their words, but they cannot ultimately harm us? Can they? They can't. Why? Because I'm secure in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you can harm them by being silent, by not speaking forth the glorious truths of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I wonder... How many times do we say, Lord, I'm put in this situation. I, I find it hard. I find it so difficult. I find it so trying. But help me to be your witness. Help me to testify of Jesus Christ to all those who happen to be again around us. You know, those are the prayers of the New Testament, that we might know the height, the depth, the glory, that we might be these witnesses of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look just briefly again at the answer that's given because it's an amazing answer. It's recorded in verse number 31. Think of this happening this morning after the pastoral prayer. <laughs> you know, here in verse number 31, it says, And when the people had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amazing, isn't it? You know, And just before I look at this, I must say this again. God is the God of history, isn't he? Right? But if you divide history up in two words, it's his story, right? It's God's story. You know, he's the ordainer of everything that's happened. And let me just say this. He's ordained the prayers that we say say as long as with the things that come to pass. He's ordained the one with the other. But the reason why I point that out is God decided not to act unless this prayer happened, right? He's not going to give them the boldness. He's not going to give them the tenacity. He's not going to give them conviction. He's not going to give them the strength to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in these trying circumstances, unless they pray. And think about it. 
Because if that's true, when you follow the normal course of history, what happens? Well, the church stagnates. Wait, we'll wait to another time. We'll wait till there's different leaders. We'll wait till the, here it is, that they vote in a conservative government. You know, we'll wait to then before we stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We wait for circumstances to change. But here's the thing. Circumstances will never change. We live in a world that hates Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, the church stagnates. It does not go, here it is, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. And here's the thing. 2,000 years later, are we here this morning? Is there anybody who has preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ if the church is not carried forth again through the four corners again of the uh, earth? And here's the amazing thing, because so often we look at that, oh, isn't that nice? You know, the place was shaking. God answered the prayer, but God answered the prayer in a marvelous and amazing way. And we can say, oh, he could do it other ways. Yes, he could do it other ways, but this is the way that he has chosen. Let me say beyond the shadow of that, when you look at that, that should be such an encouragement to pray. You know, God can use our prayers, which they seem so significant. You know, I'm going to pray for the pastor today, that he might have strength in the pulpit. And he might pray with boldness. And then all of a sudden it answers and it touches this one person's heart. And maybe three, three generations. This person touches this, this person touches this, this person touches this. And this person does something so significant in salvation. We never know what God is going to do out there. But our trust is in him. And it is amazing because, they, because we realize God is a God who delights to answer his children's prayers. Now, I know we get frustrated I know beyond a shadow of a doubt we say, oh, God just doesn't hear me. It seems like I'm just speaking in the room by myself. But let me say, say beyond a shadow of a doubt, God delights to answer the prayers of God's people when it is about his glorification. Not primarily about me, primarily about him. And why? Not because God's self-centered. In a way, he is self-centered, because, but he's the only person that is self-centered it's self-centered where it's not sin because he deserves all of the glory. And so if he wants the highest good of you and me, you know, he wants us to glorify him. That's the highest good in our lives. Right? And you think about it, God delights to answer prayer. And you can see this in this response because it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered. And I think it was a building, you know, I don't know how large the building happened to be, but I'm sure when it was shaken that there wasn't dust, there wasn't debris, the foundations weren't caving in, but it shook in such a way just to show that God was present there. And it says they were gathered together and it was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I mean, amazing. Imagine me in there and all of a sudden you're praying, God, answer us. Please, Lord, hear us. Please beseech us. We realize that we're worthless sinners. You do not need to answer us. You're the all-glorious one. But please have mercy upon our souls. And all of a sudden there's this awe of the building shaking. And we realize what that awe is. We realize what that shaking is. That shaking is a validation that God has heard their prayers and God is responding to it. And we see two things happen. And one of them happens to be, again, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I, how do I say this? Uh, The frustration with a passage like this is a lot of times we read into a passage something that's not there. 
And so when we look at this filling, we have this modern-day phenomena, this mystical phenomena that happens to go, go on right here that's really not a phenomenon. That's really not from God. But we take that, and we see it in other sectors that happen to be, again, of Christendom, and we read it back in the text. As this filling is some, somehow mystical. You know what filling means? It just means to be controlled by something or someone, right? So I can be filled with lust, right? And what's on my mind? What's on my heart? You know, what do I want to see come to pass in my, in my mind? What, what, whatever's filling me. I could be filled with anger. I could be filled with alcohol. I could be filled with fear. I could be filled with defiance. Well, they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And why are they filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Because of two things, right? They're, they're reminding themselves of Scripture. They're, they're filling themselves with the Holy Spirit-inspired Word. And it does something. It causes them not to be focused on the Holy Spirit, but be focused on Christ, be focused on God. It's absolutely amazing. And what comes from that is a boldness to speak. Now... In one sense, it seems like a lot, uh, Pentecost all, all over again. Remember that? You know, here they are praying, and they're in the upper room, and all of a sudden, you know, there's this mighty rushing wind, and all of a sudden, they, they begin speaking. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin speaking in other languages. But the difference here is they're speaking in the language that everybody understands. They're speaking forth the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're speaking this glorious truth. Here it is, when we're spirit-filled, when we're controlled by God, when our minds and hearts are saturated with the word of God, what comes out of us is this delightful, this zealous, this eager obedience to Jesus Christ regardless of the cost in our lives. Now, I want to spend a couple moments... And I want to look at who the recipients of this prayer request were. So, so, so think about it. Here they are praying. And who are they praying for? And they're praying. And I don't want us to get this wrong because we could say, well, they're praying for the world. They're praying for everybody else. They're not praying for that. They are praying for themselves. Right? Help us to speak what? Boldly. The word. In other words, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why I say that is because what is the application to that? How do we apply that? And I think the easiest application that we could give of the scripture are those who happen to be preachers, those who happen to be teachers, those who happen to be pastors that get into the pulpit. And I think it's a good prayer to make for those who are going to be echoing forth the truth of the word of God, right? God give them a spirit that they might speak boldly. And what do we mean by boldly? Not arrogantly, not the idea of rudely, not the idea, again, of in your face, but with such conviction that they believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that those who are listening need these truths. They're life-giving. They're vital in their life, and you have to hear these truths. And then they might preach it no matter, again, what the cost, what the outcome you know, who heeds it? Who does not heed it? You know, and, and here's the amazing thing, because that's what they're, they're praying, right? We see that they begin speaking, and whether they start speaking, the word of God. I love that. And then in verse number 29, we realize what they were praying, praying that they might speak boldly your word. Now, I want you to think about that. Because what 
does a pastor do? What does a Bible teacher, regardless again of when it's done, whether it's done in Sunday school, whether it's done on Wednesday evening, or whenever it happens to be, what does a teacher teach? And here it is. There's parameters on this message. You know, it's here to here. It's not outside here. I don't teach my own thoughts. I don't say, well, God came to me this week and taught me this. Or I'm looking out in the world, and this is what I think about God. That happens to be over here. There is a commission and the commission, again, is around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, here it is, the perfect life, the substitutionary death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, his ascension, and his coming back again to set up his eternal kingdom. And all the, tr- all the truths that relate to that, how we live, how we function in this world that happens to be around us. And that's the confines, isn't it? That's the confines. That's the limits. And we pray for those who preach the word of God that they might have boldness. That they might have conviction, regardless of the cost, regardless, again, of the situation, regardless of who is sitting in the congregation, regardless of the laws that happen to be in the land, that they would preach with boldness. Now, that's an easy application. But the other application is, you know, when they prayed, they didn't say, Lord, here's all these people that are gathered in this room. Lord, please, please give us boldness as apostles. They don't say that. But the us here includes everyone that happens to be present at that time. You know, so it's not just, again, these, uh, these um, uh, apostles. And you can see this over in Acts chapter 8. One. This takes place right after the stoning of Stephen. And this is where persecution really takes off, right? It starts in its infancy right here. But here's the first Christian martyr happens to be against Stephen. And Stephen is not an apostle. Right, But we read in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1 this, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now here's a question. Who's scattered here? And the ones who are scattered are people in the church. Right? It's not the apostles. They remain in Jerusalem. And why do I point that out? Because listen to what verse number four says. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Who's preaching the word here? Is it the leaders? Everyone who's scattered. Now, think about this. Now, let me ask you this question. Is this normal? And let me just explain what I mean by normal. Is it normal when you realize that your whole livelihood has been up and ended? That you've been displaced from family and friends, from work, from home, from everything that happens to be again in your life. And you've been placed in another situation. And you realize why you're there is because, again, of this message, because of this Lord, because of this gospel right here. Do you keep on doing the same thing? And here's evidence of the Spirit of God. Here's evidence, again, of the glory of God at the, in, the, in the life of an individual. What did they do? They went everywhere, preaching the word of Christ, preaching the gospel, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter, again, what the cost, no matter, again, what came again in their life. They came and preached that message that he came and died for sinners like us. God raised them from the grave, vindicating, again, that he is Lord and Savior of all, and people everywhere. It doesn't matter, again, if we're in Jerusalem, it doesn't matter if we're in Samaria, it doesn't matter if we're in the uttermost parts of the world, need to repent and trust in Jesus for eternal life. It's the only way. It's the only name. He is the only Savior of the world, and he has come, and this is the message. 
You know, so think how this text applies to us. Because I think a lot of times when we look at the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think we look at some people, and some people can be really arrogant. They want to prove that they're better than other people, so they're going to preach this individual, they're going to preach that individual, and they almost do it in a condemning way that, that they're over top of them. But I, I, I think there's other people where the gospel just comes naturally out of them. They have a gift, again, of evangelism, don't they? You know, it just seems to roll over them. They're kind, they're generous, but they make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because I think that it's a vast minority of people. I think when it comes to most of us, we're scared, you know, as far as what people would do to us. And there's a conflict that goes on in, inside of us, isn't it? And that conflict is basically this. I am scared, I am frightened, but I know that they have to hear the gospel. You know, um, Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17 says what? It says, so faith comes from hearing, and here it is, and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have to hear. This message needs to be articulated. So let me close with this. How do we overcome that fear? How do we overcome that fear? that we might be bold witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think there's two things in this text. And both of them are related to one another. And one of them happens to be being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, being controlled by the God of the Word. You know, letting His Word saying, you know, what do I know about God in this situation? What do I know about who He is? Let me fill my heart. Let me fill my mind. And here's the second thing. And I begin to pray that back to God. This is who you are. And God, I understand your will. The disciples understood the will. You know, the last thing the Lord said to them was his great commission. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you and be my witnesses. And now they're praying. God, give us the boldness. Give us the strength. We cannot do this without you. This gospel might go out into all the world. And we overcome fear. We overcome the anxiety. We overcome the fretting about obedience, this delightful, glorious, grand, zealous obedience. To God, we overcome the fear of other people by seeing and savoring who God is. And then when we see him, we depend upon him. We don't do this in our own strength. We depend upon him and offer up prayers. Let me tell you, if you offer up prayers like that, I will guarantee you one thing. If you don't, I'll guarantee you one thing. I will guarantee if you don't offer up prayers like that, you're going to be stagnant in your Christian life. I will promise you, if you offer up prayers like this and truly mean it, it will change your Christianity. It will change your life. It will change your church for the glory of Christ. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Father, what what a challenging text. Lord, we realize the disciples came face to face. Lord, there was no pumping of chest. There was no pounding. There was no looking, look at me. I can do this. God, we realize that all of these men had already been proven failures. 
Lord, in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, they all forsook him. They all scattered. Lord, at the thought that they would suffer for the name of Christ. And Lord, here, just a few months later, as they're faced with the same issue, they're faced with the same consequences, they're faced with the same persecution, they're faced with the, with the, uh, with the prospect, Lord, of this temporal suffering in this life. They come to you weak, realizing that you're strong, and realize, Lord, that you delight to answer the prayers of your people. And God, I just pray that as we look at our lives, that you would change our prayer requests. Lord, that you would alter our focus. Lord, not that we would never pray for the physical healing, the physical well-being of those who happen to be around us, but Lord, the whole emphasis might be that we might be these eternal witnesses of the Great One, of the Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through those prayers that you might change us, Lord, so much so that our goals, our purposes, our aspirations might be your goals, your, uh, your, your goals and your aspirations might become our goals, Lord, in all of our lives. We thank you so much. Just be with us now. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.